Marketing Strategy Podcast. To build on last week's episode, we are discussing how there are two fundamental ways of modelling how a situation will evolve. So in the first approach, you attempt to collect some input data, run it through your model, and essentially predict what happens in that situation. In the second type of uncertainty, fundamentally you're just trying to understand what that uncertainty is, what the impact might be, um, but it's less of a strict modelling way of looking at things. Um, so Dad, today we're going to be focusing on that second type of uncertainty where modelling might prove a bit more difficult. It's clearly a, a pretty big topic um, mm-hmm. and lots of things fall into this, particularly important at the moment. Um, but, but where do we begin with that? We talked last week about the uncertainties that you might have if you owned a casino and some you can model like how might odds play out on average when you have some big rollers. But other things are much harder to predict, like the actions of a rogue employee or something like that. You can't create a model Mm. and forecast that. But you've obviously got to think about those types of uncertainty. So I would like to suggest that there are three steps in that. And we're going to deal in particular with two of those and touch on the third. First, you have to do everything you can to brainstorm those uncertainties, because some of them might, might feel like they're unknown unknowns, as Donald Rumsfeld said, which means that it's really hard to even be aware that that exists as an uncertainty. Last week we talked about a tiger that attacked one of the performers and nobody had even thought that that might happen. So that was an unknown unknown. How do you try and make make those sorts of things become more visible? It's not like it's impossible to predict them. And So we'll talk about that. Then once you've identified those, you need to kind of prioritise them because you'll have a very long list and we'll talk about how to do that. And then briefly, we'll talk about how you manage those uncertainties, which actually is a huge topic in itself, could be a whole podcast series. So we'll just talk a little bit about that. So it's a three step process. No, sounds good and makes sense to focus on the first two, I guess, because we've got kind of what is the primary issue and and sort of what are your options later down the framework. Yeah, that's right. That's um, That's really how you deal with them. Yeah. Okay, let's do it. So I think you wanted to sort of go through an example with that kind of brainstorming, right? Yes, I thought we would get you to take on the role of the CEO of Pret-a-Manger. Yeah. And uh, I think that's a business everyone can identify with. And, you know, imagine I'm having a chat with you. Uh, Most of these tools are aiding a chat or or an informal debate or perhaps a formal kind of brainstorm or, or workshop. But but they're made to be used very quickly. So, so I would like you just to brainstorm all the uncertainties facing the business. Now, tell yeah. me how you might think about that. Okay. Yeah, I've done. I've done a bit of work in sort of consumer cafes, restaurants, right. and stuff. So I can I can have a decent stab at this. Expert, yeah? um, but I think I think first of all, I I think about segmenting our uncertainties into sort of two categories. So demand side uncertainties and then our supply side or kind of cost type uncertainties as well i think on the demand side um one of the key ones is is sort of your competitive threat like we know that the sort of food to go cafe space that pret occupies is pretty competitive and increasingly there's kind of premiumization trend as well so you've got these new chains like gales in london um coming up and, and probably taking share from from pret so that's an uncertainty. I think another one is just inherently consumer tastes are changing all the time. You've mm-hmm. got this big vegetarian veggie hype at the moment, uh, vegan hype uh, at the moment, which is obviously something you need to think about how that evolves in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are some big ones on the demand side. And then cost side, I guess. So labour is going to be one of your big costs. So how does Brexit affect that? 
Um, and how does the things like the national minimum wage or national living wage, how do changes in that and uncertainty around those mm-hmm. roll into your strategy? And then, of course, you've got the sort of raw ingredients costs. So um, I guess tariffs impact that, mm. you know, bad weather cycles could result in a price increase in wheat and then that, that factors into your cost. So that's just like very quick, uh, quick and dirty yeah, brainstorm. Great. Yeah, so what I find is people have no problem having an initial brainstorm and you've actually gone one step further, I would say, and you've actually used a framework, which in this case is a very simple one of demand versus supply, to structure your thinking a little and provoke mm. your thinking, which is good. So all I do is I, I, I try and think of other frameworks that could be used that that will provoke more thought about what are the possible uncertainties. And, and there's two okay. in particular I find are quite useful. Uh, one is to think about different time frames. So mm. sometimes people think short or medium or long term, but rarely do they think on all of those horizons. What would you say was the time horizon of the sort of uncertainty yeah, you were talking about? I'm probably thinking three to five years okay. when, I'm, when I'm doing mine. Which actually I would call medium term, although maybe in retail that would be regarded as long term. But for the sake of argument, let's look 10 years out. You know, you're the, you're the, you're the guy in charge. You, you want to think about this 10 year vision. Um, we could also think about uncertainties in the very short term, like within a year, mm. um, like rogue employees and scandals and so on. Yeah. But let's think long term, really going long term, what might be some of the uncertainties in the business that perhaps you haven't thought of so far? Well, there's an interesting one here, I think. It, it, it's related to the sort of competitive threat, but it's more of a substitute. So we did some work on this a while back and, and looking at um, hot vending machines. Right. So like mm-hmm. actually quite quite classy, high quality food coming mm. out of vending machines. Yeah. Um, and in the UK, it's, it's actually quite low penetration. Like they're, right. they're quite popular in some countries, just not in the UK. Yeah, so okay. maybe if you're looking at a 10 year horizon, maybe you're thinking actually the technology is getting better there mm-hmm. and they have lower, I mean, they could maybe offer the products at a lower price so maybe that's a threat as well like does that become mm. a more popular model in the UK? I mean, I mean this is a bit like yeah um, well we've seen it in coffee thinking, haven't we but, but um, yeah, yeah exactly. it's not that left field because costa coffee came out with a big push into vending machines which people like starbucks thought would be a terrible idea mm. because that would kind of take away the mystique and they charge a lot for their coffee but it sure yeah. they sure get used don't you as anyone who's been into a uh, petrol station uh, can see people are lining up to get the coffees so yeah okay so that's a good example and um, just as an illustration let me take another sort of framework which is don't just think of the bad things think of the good things so mm. to some extent you're tending to focus more on the bad things which is what people think about when yeah. they think about uncertainty but what might happen that would perhaps create a real opportunity for prep well yeah I mean particularly at the moment with um, COVID-19 basically shutting down the cafe restaurant industry mm. i guess that's just one of your big competitors goes bust and that instantly um i guess you win some of those customers into your chain almost right. immediately so right. that's one and then also i think an interesting opportunity is sort of overall decline of high street shopping in the uk is opening up properties for pret-a-manger to rent right. so there's right. more there's kind of cheaper and more space available on the high street for for prep chain so there are a couple of ones like that that yeah I, I guess if i think about it in more detail um there there are kind of opportunities Don't bother. as well that's enough <laughs> okay <laughs> we'll do that later right, we'll but i think up. the point here is no it's just to say look um you'll find with any group or any individual that they'll think about uncertainties and they will come up with a whole bunch but rarely will they get the whole canvas and so using different frameworks um and, and i've mentioned a couple of popular ones another one that i sometimes use is 
you just pick any of the frameworks we've picked before, like Porter's Five Forces. Think about substitutes, new entrants, how rivalry might develop. And that kind of overlaps with some mm. of the things you said, how buyers might develop, how suppliers might develop. So I think that was too duplicative of what you've done already. So I, I didn't introduce that. But it's anything that creates a bit of a categorization that applies to business and organizations. <laughs> Let's imagine we've done a bit more work on that and we've got a really good long list. Now, the second thing is to prioritize them. Mm. And um, I actually have a little matrix which I'll put on our website and I will describe. But the, the most fundamental thing is say which of this long list is going to cause the biggest shift in value. So I'm talking about not sort of a blip, but something that might increase or decrease the value of the company by 20, 30, 40 percent. So it's got to be something really significant. Can you pick one or two of the uncertainties we've talked about that might do that? I think probably one of the big ones is that kind of competitive threat. If we're thinking about impact over a shortish period of time, right. I think just one, a new model that's just really successful and gets rolled okay. out quickly, um, that could really impact as well. The second dimension to think about, which is sort of the second side of the matrix is how likely uh, is it that that will oscillate, if you like? So you, you'll have a base case, which is you've got your current competition and it sort of carries yeah. on as normal. But then there is a chance that it will get really tough and there's a chance, as you said, that they, they fold and you've got a great opportunity. And the thing is, is that a one in a hundred chance or a one in 10 or a one in three? It's probably more like a one in three, right? Mm. In other words, it's quite a high chance of there being volatility in the competitive yeah. landscape. And so that would be what I would call a strategic uncertainty. You've got to put it in the heart of your strategy because you know that things are going to change in that space. Could get a lot better, mm. could get a lot worse. And your strategy needs to deal with it. And we'll come back to those in a minute when you talk about what to do about them. Now, the other type of uncertainty is one that could have a really big impact, but actually has a very low chance of happening. Like, um, you know, London suddenly erupts in a volcano and most of Pret is, is, is dead. Yeah. Um, can you think of some more practical examples of, of things that had could have a big impact but have a low probability of occurring? I mean, it's, yeah, the elephant in the room, really. Right. Uh, coronavirus and, and, and locking down the country for like yeah. a few months. So, yeah, yeah, I, that's an interesting one to think about. That would about, be a really it? good example. Obviously, yeah. it's happened, but we would still say that's a low probability event. Mm. So now these low probability events, there's normally quite a long list of them, and they're the classic things you try and insure against. They get discussed quite a lot on what we call risk registers by boards. They could be things like the IT system blows up. Um, uh, perhaps there is a, a scandal with the food quality. Mm. Um, you know, you really, obviously, you're doing everything you can to stop them, but you can't completely stop them. And you might have a risk officer, or or the board, or the CEO would actually think about, or the finance officer might think about how do we hedge against that? Can we literally take out an insurance policy? They tend not to be so much in the heart of the strategy department. So I'm going to put them on one side for the moment, but they definitely need dealing with. Okay. And I want to then think about well, what can you do about those really big uncertainties? And you've highlighted one, which was a change in competition. Mm. So my point would be then you almost have to build your strategy around the fact that you can't predict what the competition will do. You either have to have different scenarios or a bit of a we'll evaluate as we go or you know we need to try and control the situation by acquiring our mm. competitors or we need to hedge our bets by diversifying. You, you have to be quite activist. And so the third step is what do you do about these yeah. uncertainties. But 
the main goal of this podcast is to give you a, a framework that allows you to brainstorm the list and make sure you haven't missed too many. And then secondly, prioritise so you can drill down to the one or two that you really need to worry about. Because a lot of them like, um, well, you mentioned things like the cost of food. Yeah. Yeah, of course that's a risk. But it's unlikely to change the value of the company by 40%. You know, it'll go up and down and then it'll affect your prices, but it'll affect competitors as well. So that's something we would call operational risk. It needs managing. But unless you really screw up, it's not going to destroy the company. Okay. Um, and those, again, they don't tend to be so much in the remit of the, the strategy department. Um, okay, so can, can I just recap there? Because I yeah. think that's, that's helpful and the matrix makes a lot of sense. So correct me if I'm wrong, we've kind of got these four points on the matrix, which there are two things that's kind of risk of happening and impact of happening, right? Yeah. So in our <clears throat> high impact, high risk yeah. situations, those are the key strategic risks correct. that the companies have front of mind. Like your and, competitive environment. Yeah, exactly. And you don't mm-hmm. want to be too prescriptive here, but you need to be very active in managing those. Yeah. Then you've got your lower risk, but still high impact um, scenarios. This would maybe sit at like a board level decision making and, and often the, well, uh, you can't be too prescriptive, right? Yeah. Can you? But these are often dealt with through insurance. Um, Having a products. plan B or yeah. something to deal with. It's it less and, active management. Yeah. Then you've got your sort of low, uh, low impact, but high risk, which Correct. is operational risk, things like yeah. fluctuating. So I, yeah, for instance, we did some, work for a wine um, agent and, mm. and they have a whole hedging department to deal with currency fluctuations. Right, that's a good um, example. Yeah. So that's kind of a managing the operational risk. And then presumably the only last quadrant is this low risk, low impact and, and that you just don't really care about that much, right? Yeah, those are the things, yeah, you don't care about. Cool. So yeah. Cool. When, I, when I discuss this with a group, they are normally able to generate a pretty big list and a bigger list with the aid of these tools and they have no problem fitting these in and they do spread across all three mm. of those quadrants and, and rarely do, have they even bothered thinking about some things that are clearly low impact, low risk. Yeah. You know, that Intuitively, we, we don't even bother mentioning those. Cool. Um, yeah. And and one last challenge. I'm going to put yeah. you on the spot here. Oh, oh good. <laughs> okay. So, I reckon pre-COVID-19, you'd probably... A lot of companies might have pandemic on their list of long, long list of risks yes. at the board level, right? Yeah. But perhaps the the yeah. likelihood of that happening is not representative because they haven't taken the time to speak to loads of um, epidemiologists and experts in the area about actually this could quite easily happen. Yeah. Um, so, so the perception of risk, I guess, is depends on how much work you do to understand those risks. Yes. And we're talking about a situation where you've brainstormed. Uh, it could be like 50 risks that might affect your company. Yeah. So how do you actually, you have to prioritise which you care about, but it seems like there's some research goes into actually how big of a risk is this? What yeah. is the impact and how likely is this to happen? Do you think it's just so important to factor these risks into your planning that that is worth your time? Well, it's interesting you say that because my recent research has been to companies who've stumbled and... I think often the, the companies who stumbled are naive about the businesses they're in. They kind of understand the risks, but they don't do the homework that you're talking about. Mm. And they just think, oh, you know, we, why would one... You can just trust this, this person, this expert said it's fine. And a classic example of that would be if you look at Goldman Sachs and how they did relatively well in the financial crisis. I'm sure you've seen the... The big short, yeah, right? Yeah, and, um, you know, they well. cottoned on very early on. Now, they actually didn't necessarily do all the work themselves initially, 
But actually, in the late stages of 2006, they'd already identified this was a problem. They'd already analysed that there was a big risk in the prime, um, a subprime lending market. And the more naive competitors just hadn't got a clue. Mm. They didn't really realise that this was such a big problem. And I think it's because there was great knowledge within Goldman Sachs of how to manage risk, a great tradition of managing risk. And even if you hate them, you've got to admire them. They just do do a lot of analysis. They, they do hire a lot of smart people, and that's partly because they really want to get under and understand the risk. And they'd feel very uncomfortable, I think, as a company. They've been rather conservative, actually, in getting into any business that they don't really understand well. But the benefit of that is they do know what homework has to be done. They've done it before. So, yeah, it's a really big job to do this properly. And, um, of course, that is spread across different companies uh, in different ways. Sometimes you have a very formal risk management structure like you do in financial services mm. companies. And in others, it's much more loose. Um, and I think now we're getting really heavily into what do you do about it. That's and actually, this is a frontier issue for yeah. strategy. And it's a huge topic. And I might try a little bonus episode from one of my colleagues who does a lot of work here. But I think we're beginning to talk about stuff we don't necessarily know everything about. We certainly right. haven't got time. But yeah, you're absolutely right, uh, I think, to point out the amount of work that has to be done to manage risks properly. A little bit of paranoia is pretty useful because, you know, if you realise what you don't know, that's that's part way to dealing with risk properly. Okay, wonderful. And yeah, as, as I think you said there, um, there'll be uh, one or two bonus episodes on this section because we think it's a really interesting topic, um, trying to understand how a situation will evolve. But thanks very much for listening. Yeah.